The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to Business is Boring. With buying a house pretty much out of reach to all but the wealthiest or luckiest people, it's time for some new approaches to home ownership. One cool new concept is Slice, a platform that makes it easy for first home buyers, co-owners and even those purchasing as a group, supporting you with your finances and managing your legals into the home. The platform also allows multiple people to own fractions of a house together that can then be sold to one another when you leave or kept in ownership as you move on. New approaches like this mean more people can get onto the ladder and spend more time paying mortgages instead of rent. Founder and CEO Amy Stevens worked unusually hard to get herself into home ownership and thought that there had to be an easier way. And so Slice was born to talk the first homeowner journey, how to get in sooner, and what's next. Amy Stevens joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Kia ora, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hey, so what started out your interest in home ownership? As that was like a real big goal in your life, hey? Yeah, definitely. I think we're all somewhat conditioned living in New Zealand um, to get into property ownership. It seems to be the Kiwi dream. So it's probably somewhat societal. Um, But also I've had sort of a bit of personal experience. So growing up, my parents separated and was raised by a single mum. So she worked unusually hard, not unusually hard. I think it's pretty standard for single mums to, to have to do that graft, but to get back on the property ladder after my parents separated. So I watched her in that journey and that was super formative for me and that kind of, I guess, begun my drive to to get into home ownership uh, from a young age, yeah. Yeah, and unusually hard when you were observing that, the market probably wasn't as widely and completely cooked as it is now, right? No, no, we're looking at a totally different market now altogether, but it's all relative. I mean, everyone has their different, you know, uh, amounts of money to work with and it never feels easy at the time. But now it's not only not easy, it's just about out of reach for the majority. So um, not with our platform, though, of course. <laughs> yeah, and how did how did you get yourself on there and what did you kind of discover along the way? So I yeah was trying to work out how to get into my first home and I had a certain amount um, of lending that I could take on. Um, I think one of one of the big probably initial challenges was, yeah, you do need an income of some sort. So you have to sort of start there um, getting some sort of income stability. But then from that, it was I don't have enough to purchase and I don't have enough to purchase in Auckland. So particularly I was struggling with the deposit. Um, and I was looking around the likes of Birkenhead and just 
uh, struggling to kind of get in there. And then I thought I could get support from my mum. So it's not like this is a revolutionary idea. A lot of people are doing it and the majority of people are actually doing that. The Bank of Mum and Dad is the fifth biggest in um, Australasia, actually. So I did uh, go to my mum and say, you know, is this something we could work through? And I basically set up a structure around what that could look like. So we went under a limited guarantee and then I gave her a profit share um, based on the increase in value of that property whilst the guarantee was in place. So a guarantee means that there's no actual cash changing hands, which is great for your parents, but there is a risk if you fail to make your repayments. So we moved through the legal agreements and kind of I managed that process and, and worked with her and negotiated that with her. And that's what sort of sparked uh, the need for the platform to help first home buyers actually navigate that journey into home ownership and also uh, deal with some of the complexities when you are involving other people's money or different kind of financial contributions. When you describe that, it sounds so kind of formal compared to, I imagine, most people's kind of discussions with their parents <laughs> or how they organise it, which is probably, you know, mum and dad wanting to help, which, you, you know, everyone kind of wants to help their kids however they can. And now, the situation seems to be that if your parents are wealthy enough and um, thoughtful enough, you're okay. And if not, um, <laughs> you're cooked. But like, how was it that you were in a position to be able to structure things like that? Like, tell me about your your first careers and like kind of law and banking. It's yeah. not, not everyone has that background to be able to set something up that kind of professionally. Hey? Yeah, I guess that uh, I don't realise that it sounds that way, but that's just a, like reflective of my experience. But that's what the platform does. We kind of take experience and expertise and and enable other people to negotiate home ownership in the same way, which is, you know, a best practice way. Um, and that also gives confidence to your parents if they are considering going in and not sure about what that looks like. But my background was in law initially and banking. So I studied um, law and economics at uh, Victoria University. And then I basically decided so sort of in, in line or in theme with how do you get into home ownership is how do you earn a decent salary. And so I, like many others, uh, identified banking as a, a good place to start. And so I got a really like decent salary in my first role there moving into foreign exchange. So kind of um, managing FX risk and um for exporters and importers across New Zealand. And then I moved into home ownership with the bank uh, on a platform there. So focused on co-ownership actually, but around the lending uh, side that the ASB was exploring at the time. Moved into uh, core banking and product management and technology. So um, I led a team around that and I managed to grow my salary. I think this is interesting because I see a lot of people talking about salaries at the moment and it can be that actually moving uh, from, yeah, an organisation can definitely increase that because I ended up getting getting myself into 220k, so then I was able to buy my second property as well. And now I've rapidly dropped that down as a startup founder and I'm on less than half of that. So, yeah, I've, I definitely have had that experience in the banking and the, and the legal space and that's supported us in building out the platform and, and taking that knowledge and making it easy for others to to understand how to do it. Yeah, and what a fantastic series of experiences 
to then run your own product and technology company, right? In I know. the legal and banking space. <laughs> it sort of all makes sense, does all, really. <laughs> does it all look per- perfect in, like, in, in retrospect? Or was that a plan you were plotting out? No, it wasn't a plan. I think I'm... I definitely think I just followed my values, though, and things that interest me, and that's probably why it all makes sense. Um, But no, I don't think I planned that. I think I just wanted to get quality experience in industries that interest me, uh, and then that kind of all led to to this opportunity to help others. And and I think that was the real motivation to jump out was just the frustration with actually some of those existing systems and processes and and obviously having then moved into technology and product management, being able to actually improve those experiences and innovate those experiences kind of uh, was the last piece of the puzzle. Tell us about co-ownership because when people think about buying houses even if they're doing it with a partner they probably don't think of themselves as co-owners but they are right like tell us what co-ownership means and why that can be a really interesting way to unlock uh different approaches to lending yeah definitely so i mean if you're buying entirely by yourself like it's just simon then you are not a co-owner but if you are a um, recently uh, inherited a huge fortune person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, then congratulations. Yeah, great. You just won the lotto. Go for it. Um, but if you are in a relationship, if you're getting you know, a smaller loan from your uh, parents or purchasing with a sibling or a scheme, so if you're going in with an NZ Housing Foundation, a Kayanga Order, a government scheme, all of those are actually classed as co-ownership because there's more than one person contributing to that home. And with that comes potentially some challenges around how you're going to manage your contributions. You might think that it's fine and it's going to be 50-50, but actually there can end up being some challenges within that relationship. And so that's why it's really important to kind of work through some of the decision-making up front. And that's what our online platform supports people to do. Okay. And like, how does co-ownership then mean that you can do more interesting things with getting yourself into a home. Because I guess the kind of general path is somehow manage to cobble together an extraordinarily large deposit. Like if it's an average house in Auckland, uh, average house is a million dollars, that's $200,000. You know, if you save 10% of your post-tax income for 10 years, you need to be earning... (laughs) 200k a year <laughs> for 10 years to be able to save a deposit it's bananas like so so what 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 do you do to bring co-ownership and some of those more more interesting kind of like groups together to address that yeah so our vision is to reduce barriers to home ownership so that's by creating accessibility and that's why we do specialize in co-ownership because it does open doors for a lot of people like if you think about it i rented for about 10 years Um, and that could have been $100,000 that I could have put towards property ownership. But I obviously didn't have a deposit because I was in uni. (laughs) I didn't have anything much, didn't have a car um, or any sort of really value at that point. But had I gone in with my flatmates at the time, then we could have accrued, you know, 100K each over that that period of time um, and put that towards an appreciating asset being a property. So we are really trying to 
increase intergenerational wealth for people that otherwise don't have access to property and property is a way to do that. And the reason property is such a great opportunity as well is it's not just your own money that you're putting in, the bank's actually helping. So you're leveraging lending from the bank and therefore you're what could just be a 10k opportunity if you had that to put in shares becomes a 800k opportunity when you put in 80k um, as a deposit. So your purchasing power and your investment power is eight times uh, the amount that it would be if you were investing money that you had your own money into shares. So we're trying to basically educate people around sort of that paradigm and help them get into property sooner. So whether that's when you're flatting or just when you're, you know, in your 20s, because at the moment it seems to be that the average rate is late 30s. Um, so we're just trying to kind of bring that back by by enabling people to buy together and invest together in our co-ownership agreements. It's actually only $500 for a standard agreement and then you do get some additional advice on top of that. But that is the construct which actually makes sure that you know how you're going to manage that relationship, manage that investment and make the right decisions up front to protect your relationship over time. And so that co-ownership, like in the case of flatties, um, if you had four people in a flat and if all of them had reasonably wealthy parents and if houses didn't cost so much, <laughs> maybe like um, four of you could go in on a 500k flat and then you'd only need in theory, 20K deposit each, and um, then you could be off and off to the races. Um, and, you know, most of New Zealand's history, the house-to-income ratio has meant there were a lot of 500K houses, but we're still talking about kind of, you know, big, big old um, deposits, hey? Yeah, definitely, and that's where it's, it's super helpful if people can kind of share the load in terms of that deposit, but it's not actually only the deposit. So the, the purchase that I made with my mum was, was deposit-related. I only purchased that house with 40K of my own money. So that's obviously, it's not nothing, but it's a lot more achievable than you might think. Right, well, with guarantees on yeah. existing property. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so using my mum's property as a guarantee, and then the market did quite well, so I was able to remove that guarantee after a year, and she earned 20K in, in profit off the back of that without putting up any cash. So happy days for all of us. Uh, but essentially it's not just the deposit, though. There's also the repayment. So then I went to buy again with my partner, and basically he could have gone on his own. He had a really solid deposit. But then there's the servicing or the repayments. Um, so even if you do buy a house and you have a deposit, if you want the kind of house that a lot of people do want, you know, you might want it to be closer to the city or want a place in Auckland, then there's still sort of challenges with servicing. And that becomes easier again when you have someone else purchasing with you. So I purchased with him and we uh, share, I guess, the, the costs related to the house, including the mortgage repayments. And that's another thing that people don't realise is not only like, even if you get the deposit, that's great. But now you've got, you know, 800k in lending or even 600k in lending. Can you actually afford to service that? So we have a calculator on our website, slashtobuy.com, that kind of gives you an understanding around whether or not you can afford that. But that's also the second stage. So stage one is actually, do you have enough deposit? If not, these are, you know, your other co-ownership options, which could be going on with family or friends, but could be going in with a scheme. You can get up to 200K and we support people to do that uh, by going in with the government, for example. And so what is the shape of Slice today? How do you describe what you're doing today? 
Yeah, definitely. It's definitely taken all shapes and forms as we've kind of worked with our customers and understood their needs uh, more and more. But basically, we are a first home buyers platform and we support first home buyers and specialise in the co-ownership side of things um, for those first home buyers that are going in with a scheme or a family member uh, with the end-to-end legal conveyancing process. So you need a lawyer to get into the home and we manage directly all of those kind of elements when it comes to doing your due diligence, uh, making an offer, uh, settling on a property. And we have a bunch of partner lawyers that we work with as well. Uh, But obviously, as an extension of that, uh, we have built out in our platform software to pre-populate co-ownership agreements. So that's the the $500 fee that you're paying for that service. And we will support with kind of conversations around that alternative finance and applications if you're going into uh, apply with a Kayanga order, for example. Awesome. And we'll be back in a moment with Amy Stevens, founder at Slice, to hear how they got the business going and how they're making this the new normal. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hokimai Ano, welcome back to Business is Boring. So, how do you go from knowing that it would be really useful for there to be something that can make it easy for people to, you know, bring in the bank of mum and dad and create confidence for them and help people with conveyancing in the process because it's such a process buying a house for the first time right and there's all of these things where you're like oh I've got over the the start line then like oh I'll go get a thousand dollar valuation and go get three thousand dollars of conveyancing and go get x and x and x and just kind of never never stops so how did you go from recognizing that people needed help with that to actually making like a product that people are able to interact with Well, as we spoke about before, I think having the experience in product management was obviously super helpful and having built out technology before, but it was just like going through that experience myself, talking to lots of customers and as they went through that journey and then documenting that process and streamlining that process through our online platform. Uh, that was kind of the the initial piece. It all started around sort of my experience and then the customers that we're working with experience. Uh, but there's probably a couple of themes there in terms of like how did I move into that? Because I did build it part-time while I was working um, and earning as I, as I spoke about before. And so I actually did manage to cut my work hours down. So for someone who's looking at getting into their own business, I am somewhat risk adverse, obviously with my background. So I wasn't going to make the jump without any, well, 
there's risk adverse and there's also having bills to pay, I think. So, um, I mean, risk adverse, but also I had to pay bills, so I couldn't jump full-time into it immediately. So I cut my hours down and managed to work three days a week, and that's sort of how I bridged that gap as we built out the technology further around kind of customer experiences. So then eventually once we had sort of that platform there and we had our partner lawyers there and we had sort of agreed on our fixed prices so that there's transparency around what that journey looks like, then I could kind of jump in with confidence and know how the customers were going to be moving through the journey and how we were going to be supporting them and also making enough money to, you know, begin paying myself. And how do you go about getting people to use a new platform like this and trust it? Because I guess people generally, they go to the bank or they'll go to a mortgage broker. But are they aware and looking for new ways to get into home ownership? Is this like a good time to be going, hey, here's a here's another route um, that can help you pull together a, a kind of crew? Yeah, I think that it's very fragmented. Uh, that's the difference between our offering and going individually to any of the of the other providers. So it is super important to build your team, but it's also important to have kind of that team working well together and you to understand for you to be understanding that journey. And that's where we're different in that. Uh, going to a broker, they deal specifically with this part of the financial journey. They don't necessarily support with alternative finance, the same that we do. Uh, then going to a bank, it's sort of largely similar. If you go to a lawyer, they are, you know, just delivering um, in that conveyancing or settling on the property, which a lot of people also don't know that you need a lawyer for your property purchase and you do. So a lot of the services we do are actually in that legal space and there's not um, as much competition, I think, in terms of helping first-home buyers. So that's definitely, you know, been a sweet spot for us, but also it's just taking those fragments and pulling them together and making it one kind of journey with one team for for that first-home buyer or that first-home buyer group, which really has mean adoption has been pretty pretty good because there's not as much in terms of the way of education and resources to the extent of what we're providing. So we're just giving, you know, education and giving away lots of kind of expertise for free and that seems to kind of be bringing customers in. Yeah, tell us about that because you've got uh, podcasts, you've got um, all kinds of content, you've got guides, you've got heaps of stuff that's available to people through what you do, right? Yeah, definitely. I think... It's just leading with authenticity and the first step um, of building this out was, hey, how can we actually provide and give back to, to first-home buyers so that they can do what, what I've done? Uh, and that was through just designing yeah, education through the platform. So it breaks down that buying journey step by step so you know exactly what's involved and you know which partners are involved and when they're involved. But then we've also gone that step further and done season one of our podcast, season two launches the end of uh, September and that's kind of focused on actually more conversational people's experiences, different structures, what that looks like, but also just what the first home buyer journey includes, why you need to do due diligence and what's involved. Like, what does it mean when you get given a land information memorandum or a certificate of title? How can you work with that? Where can you get market and data insights uh, relating to the area that you're looking in? So we're breaking all of that down before they're even engaging with our partners and that's giving them confidence, but it's also saving our partners time in terms of, you know, providing a service. So we're able to actually offer 
uh, really competitive fees as a result of that because we're by the time that our partners are working with our first-time buyers, there's already a, a base level of knowledge there. And where does it work in with the actual sources of the mortgages? So you get onto your platform, pull everyone together, get the agreements, um, understand the kind of way that you're going to get together a deposit and the serviceability requirements using maybe all kinds of things like potentially guarantees or multiple people getting into it. It's anything. actually really fun. There's yeah. so many ways you can, you yeah. can find money. <laughs> using, using the government, <laughs> using um, Kayango Order, using all kinds I of I love things. using the government, I have to say, Simon. That's my that's my favourite property area. Anything you can get. And you can get up to 200k with a Kayango Order at the moment. So there's some super great opportunities and we work through and identify, okay, like where can we get all of this money from? Do you have KiwiSaver? Do you have a parent? Um, you know, are you guys in a relationship? How much are each of you putting up? So there's all of those kind of opportunities to, so, so to find it. Stitch it all together into something that might fit a mortgage provider's um, terms. And then do you take it to banks or do you have your own lending? Or how we does that work, work with brokers at the moment and we can work directly with banks as well though. So it's actually, sometimes people will already have a broker and that's fine. We can still support them with that. Uh, but also we do have our own kind of panel if you need that. So it's really fluid and we, we can work with whomever in that space. Uh, but we do kind have our partner brokers and that just is focused on kind of as you said stitching it together getting a really clear understanding of who's contributing what where the funds are coming from and then making that case um so there's yeah there's a, a great opportunity there for people to before engaging uh, necessarily with the lender is to get an understanding of all of the options available to them so that they can find out what that final amount might be and are the banks getting better at this? Because I guess one of the big problems in doing interesting things like four people who are housemates pooling together to buy a house or friends, like, you know, all kinds of people who are friends are pooling together to buy houses or, or properties or whatever, was that the banks just didn't like things that didn't look like a, you know, couple running a normal heteronormative life or whatever, um, do, doing things like buying houses. But is it, is it getting better? Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think there's been appetite, as I said, I've worked on co-ownership sort of schemes at the banks and there's been appetite for them to explore that. Um, it's just that in terms of what they're able to offer, it is sort of limited to the to the financials and and that means that if you are co-purchasing or uh, purchasing with someone else, you're joint and severally liable on the loan. So even if you and your partner put up different amounts or one of your parents put in, you'd both be equally liable for the loan if the other didn't make repayments. And that's where you kind of need a legal structure coming in to protect you both and to protect your investment. So yes, they are in the financial space kind of working to to do what they can, but there's this whole kind of legal element that they can't provide for and that's where Slice comes in. What's the change you'd like to see in the world? Like how do you see the market or people's path to home ownership changing with Slice at full flight? Because like home ownership, like it's not the best investment necessarily, but it does provide like unbelievable stability in terms of you don't have to move all the time because your landlord kicks you out. Your kids can go to one school. You have like a lot of that stuff that, you, you know, you know, without good rent protections, without good rent to own and kind of like rent for life kind of options, it's pretty grim, right? Yeah, I think it's definitely like what you touched on there is kind of the emotional uh, 
part of home ownership and and that's obviously a benefit and that's what a lot of our customers do want they want that kind of stability or knowing they have that and that's their own and i think that does move into the investment piece though so Yes, you can get great returns investing in shares. There's things like AI technology coming out. And before that, it was the metaverse. And before that, it was Bitcoin. And those things are constantly changing. But housing is, you know, it's a basic need on Maslow's hierarchy. So it's always been one of those things that we need. So, I mean, with that, you know, there's going to be a demand for housing over the long term. So it is one of the more secure investments. And that's why we see sort of good returns, uh, you know, historically over the last sort of 10 years, it's been 6% year on year and, and on average. And so there is that kind of confidence when purchasing property, I think, and particularly, you know, mums and dads in New Zealand, uh, as they say, the the mum and dad investor have become very comfortable with that as well. Nothing in this podcast constitutes financial advice, uh, you know, just to give us a disclaimer there. But it is it is hard to look at the housing stock and what we're doing in bringing in 100,000 um, migrants, which is great, need more people, but only building <laughs> houses for about a quarter of that a year. It's not It's not really very difficult to see that there's going to keep being pressure on the supply and demand and yeah. prices will stay high. So that's the thing. We Obviously, we've had a, a bit of a dip recently, but it is kind of a long-term game when you're going in and purchasing property, and that's how you have to think about it. Um, you, you know, there was a time where people certainly did buy and flip within two years, uh, but Brightline has kind of changed that and saying that there's probably two major factors that we're seeing in market that's impacting um, house prices and will impact house prices going forward. So we've got interest rates obviously have slowed things, but then we've got migration, as you said, so that's up 192 percent. And you might think, okay, but lots of people are also leaving and going to Australia, but that's only up 44%. So you've still got about 52,000 extra people to house. Um, And how do we do that? Either it's renting or it's buying. And there's, you know, that's more pressure. There's more demand than there is supply at the end of the day. So we are going to see that that come through. We know that migration does impact house prices. And then the other key factor is whether or not national get in. We're not a political podcast here I'm either, I assume. Although I bet a lot of your listeners, if it's business-based, will probably be pro-national. No, no, I reckon <laughs> that we're the fruity edge of um, business listenership okay. and um, we can we can be anywhere. That's anywhere, fun. Anywhere on the, the spectrum. You're all welcome. Love that. Yeah, sorry. Not should, even, <laughs> even, even. You're in blue today. <laughs> 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 yeah, everyone's everyone's welcome. But um, there's, uh, the, a the red, there's a little red NB on it. Yeah, no, I, I I think um I think the nicest thing about this is um the centres where it's really important because you can't have too much polarisation in um in everything. Oh look, two colours, same same deal. Uh, but basically, we we will expect some massive changes if national come in. So they've already said that they will you know change interest um, your ability to. Uh, manage interest deductibility on your investment properties. So, and also they'll uh, reduce the bright line and that could be done to two years, which will again enable investors to start flipping more readily. So I know that there's a bunch of investors on the sideline that are ready to go again. I know all, this stuff come in. all that stuff sounds terrible to me, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> but and, yeah, and, so there's a, yeah, there's some huge factors, I guess, that are, 
waiting in the wing right now and we just have to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of nice to have a little bit of the kind of economic discourse come off housing for a bit because it's been so kind of like, wow, over the top for so long. It feels very distressing that National might come in and we get back to this kind of FOMO and flipping and all of this kind of stuff when maybe would it be good for them just to double down on the fact that the economy has moved off that a little bit and maybe people are looking to invest more in some productive things? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been nice, as you say, for first-time buyers in particular because it's not only like the purchase price but it's also just the stress of going through that journey and when things are moving quickly. Um, and I've bought in that market and gone to auctions and you're literally just crying at auction. Like that's your life for that period of time. So yeah, there's definitely some concern how would I think for first home buyers and what that impact might look like. But, and op- obviously opportunity run a business podcast for people to consider investing in business and things that actually grow the economy and aren't just uh, pre-existing assets. But at the same time, we are kind of tethered to the property market in such a way that it does impact actually people's wealth, which impacts the businesses that also create that economic growth. Because if you think about it, one of the biggest challenges is that to get lending a lot of the time, unless you've got a technology company, thankfully, and you're able to kind of take VC funding on, um, a lot of businesses, they get lending for that business based on their property that they already own. So it's not um, decoupled or it's not, they're not two separate scenarios that we're working through. So it actually does have, you know, ramifications uh, in the business space as well, unless there's, you know, some sort of supporting mechanism that means where you don't have to lend on your house, which is now not worth as much because we're encouraging business investment. Like there's some unravelling to do to change the system. And I, yeah, I mean, there's challenges that come with that. So no real easy answer, I guess. No, and wouldn't it be lovely if we kept building to try and make it better instead of, um, (laughs) anyhow, um, how's it been for you personally? As had you planned to like, you, you, you know, um, your personal story has been a big part of the content and the kind of path of the company. And then, you know, even talking about salary and stuff, which I absolutely love, like it's so great to have that kind of pay transparency and talk about those things. And that doesn't sound like a crazy salary at all for someone who excelled at law and worked in law and banking and at the intersection. It makes a lot of sense, right? But how's the journey been for you to go from kind of, you, you know, um, contributor in a big organisation to founder and having that, that personal story at the heart of this? Yeah, I mean, I think I always knew that I maybe wanted to be creative in some way. I th- like, I loved the arts and theatre growing up, so that was always a, a passion of mine. And then moving into corporate, it was initially quite focused on um, my financial success and proving to myself that I can, you know, earn a decent income, that I can support myself and honestly support any future family I have. Uh, were I to end up in a relationship where it didn't go uh, as I hoped, as had happened for my mum. So I think like that was super impactful and it drove my decision making around what what try and kind of roles I wanted in the corporate space and I kind of shared that to give you an idea of yeah where you can get to if you do follow you know a certain pathway in those corporates but I was happy to obviously take that cut and move into that founder role because 
I did want to innovate. I did want to create. I wanted to have more control about the customer value or around the customer value that we provide. And I wanted to do something super meaningful to me. Um, so that's where home ownership and helping people, like it's incredibly validating to have someone come through to you and say, I don't think that we have enough to afford right now. And me to go, actually, we can find you some funds over here. We can find you some funds over here. And then three months later for them to be in their first home, something that they felt was so out of reach. So I just think, yeah, as a contributor, I guess, or um, there's opportunity to drive some change and to maybe influence if you're lucky, but nowhere near on the scale as when you're a founder and you're building, you know, the change. I like to think of about it as like there's three sort of opportunities as, in your career space and you can either be sort of a contributor, I guess, working within an existing environment, which is super important because we need contributors to to kind of drive change from within. Uh, or you can be kind of driving a wall down, um, so kind of moving over and into a new industry or new space, or you can jump the wall and hang out by yourself. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of, you know, there's, there's different opportunities um, and you have to work out what space you're comfortable playing in. And I think for me, like, I was super keen to start something new and drive the change that I wanted to see. Uh, but you can do that, obviously, from within a corporate or in your own space. Um, it just depends on maybe what, what you enjoy and what you want to see in the world. Yeah, I love that. And as a final thought, Amy, what will success be for Slice and for you personally? For me personally, if Slice is a success, so that's an easy one. Um, and for Slice, it's just more people into home ownership. So, I mean, I'd love to see a revolution away from flashing and into to ownership. If that's fractional or if that just means buying earlier in whatever way you can through a scheme, uh, yeah, I think there's lots of opportunity that's not well understood and that's that's kind of where we're playing and that's our space and I'm super excited to see what that what kind of impact that can that can have in New Zealand and beyond. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to share the story so far and can't wait to see where you take it next. That's Amy Stevens of Slice. Thanks, Simon. Thank you to Amy, thank you to you for listening, and thank you for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. In Ohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.